our scripture selection. Gospel of Matthew, 21st chapter. Matthew 21, our text will be verses 12 through 17. If you're visiting, I just want to say our, our custom here is to select a book of the Bible and to go chapter by chapter and verse by verse. We read it carefully as the very word of God, infallible, full of all authority, inerrant. We trust it with our very eternal souls. <laughs> Having read it, we, we explain it. They give you the sense of it, and then hopefully we answer the question, well, so what? We attempt to help you a little bit with uh, what you're to believe and what you're to do with this new knowledge that the, the Word by the Holy Spirit has, has given you. So that's the agenda. The Word of God has this agenda. No other person has any agenda in the church but the Lord Jesus. And if that's not clear in this passage, I don't know where we're going to get that. This is a very direct teaching. Matthew 21, beginning with verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes you prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Thus reading, thus far reading in God's holy word. All flesh is as grass, its beauty is as flower of the field. The grass withers, its flower fades, but the word of our God endures. This is the word that was just read to you by God's help and will be preached. Please be seated. You children will not remember this device, but there used to be a mechanical scale, uh, mostly in our bathrooms when we were growing up ages and ages ago, and you'd step on the springs of the scale, and then the dial would show your weight, and then you'd record that, and hopefully you'd, you'd say, well, I, I, need to, I need to stay away from dessert for a while, or I need to walk an extra mile today, whatever. Now, what happened with that device is there was a little, there was a little wheel in the back, and you had to adjust that every once in a while because sometimes the springs would drift. I don't know, maybe in the, in the wintertime they were more stiff, and so uh, it was set to one setting, and then in the summer when the springs were warm, the metallic springs would, would, would enlarge and shrink and all that expansion of the metal, and you get another reading. Well, you had to calibrate. That is to say, you had to, you had to readjust. You had to make sure that your, your measurement was true. And that's true of every measurement device. You had to make sure the instrument is true. Well, Israel was given a very special, a very, very special mission in the world. They were to be God's own treasured possession. They were to be a light, not unto themselves, so they could shine all over themselves. They were to be a light unto the world. You remember when Queen Sheba, the Queen of Sheba visited Solomon and saw the splendor of the kingdom, the wisdom of which he ruled, the rules and the orderliness of, of the city and 
uh, all the righteous or, uh, commandments of the Lord. And the, she was just breathless. She says, oh, this, this is wonderful. Now, the Queen of Sheba was a Gentile. And you know, the Gentiles, some of them would have been attracted to the wisdom and the goodness, the sobriety, the orderliness, the righteousness that was there in Israel in its good days, when they had good kings and when they had right worship. But over the years, their bathroom scale became eh, adrift. They didn't recalibrate according to the only device that gives you the calibration, and that's the Word of God. The Word of God is our true north. It points to the only righteousness that is acceptable to God, and it reveals the only righteousness that's ours by faith. That is, the righteousness of God in Christ, which is available by faith, the gift of God. That is our, that's our commission, and that's our agenda in the world, too. We are the continuing Jewish nation. Of course, the ceremonies have changed in its administration and outward form, more suitable to the expansion of the gospel throughout all the world. Nevertheless, what ha is happening here in the Gospel of Matthew is that these very Jews who were entrusted with the oracles of God, that they might be a blessing unto all nations, even to fulfill that blessing that God had promised to Abraham, that all nations would be blessed in the seed of Abraham. They had gone adrift. They had forgotten. And now, instead of being a light to the nation, to the nations and welcoming them, welcoming them, uh, welcoming them into Jerusalem, into the, the very outer courts of the, of the temple area for worship and prayer, they had become self-serving. They had become very pragmatic. They had become, they had become engrossed with their own uh, advantages and benefits. And they had sealed out and made very difficult entry uh, for the Gentile and all right impossible for prayer with all the commotion in its outer courts. My friend, the teaching here that the Lord, the Holy Spirit would have us is this, that Jesus cleansed, he purged God's temple in his day, restoring it to its original purpose. He recalibrated, Jesus recalibrated the mission of the nation in its temple. And Jesus removed that which pr would prevent every man to worship in the presence of the Lord in his temple. Let me just say that again. Jesus purged, he cleansed God's temple there in Jerusalem, restoring it to its original purposes. And he removed that which would prevent, would get in the way of every man, every Gentile, every nation, to worship God the Father there in Jerusalem. We'll see three points. The first point is that Jesus restores God's temple to its original purpose. We see, we, I mentioned uh, last week that as we draw uh, near the close of Jesus' ministry, that we're going to see more and more symbolic acts. We're going to see more and more uh, language that seems to be of the end times, of course, because that's what we're approaching. We're approaching the last age with the, with the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And this symbolic, uh, symbolic act 
uh, was, uh, I, I drew a huge amount of attention, of course, with the authorities. We'll see the contention later in this chapter, next chapter too. But uh, it also fulfilled prophecy. It appears that this is an illusion. What's going on here is an allusion to Zechariah, uh, the 14th chapter in verse 21. Uh, and it says uh, that uh, the prophecy is that they shall no longer be in, uh, in his place, a, in the house of the Lord of hosts, a traitor uh, in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. He would be, the commercial enterprise of religion would be ousted from his holy place. Uh, let me just back up and say very quickly, very much integral to the Hebrew religion were holy places and regular places. The Temple Mount was holy, and it was guarded on four courts. Uh, the, the, the court nearest the very temple itself was the, was the court of the priests, and then came the, the court of the Israeli men, followed by another court, a partitioned area for the Israeli women, and then finally, all other persons that were interested, in, including all nations, and that was the court of the Gentiles. And that's where this action takes place. But that's where people, instead of using that area to benefit those who were, that were outside the faith, they used it uh, for, for trade, for commerce, for personal gain, and that's why people have trade. But this is an allusion to the day where traders uh, would, be, would be removed from the house, the very house of the Lord and the Lord of hosts on that day. Uh, by cleansing this, this area, the temple area from traders, uh, Jesus then did away with the it looks like the unlawful hawking of their wares from merchants and money changers, dealers of sacrifices. Now, all of these things were necessary if, if the temple services were going to be carried out. Uh, they, they, were, uh, they were necessary because people would not be bringing their animals for sacrifice to Jerusalem. They would, they would bring their money. It's much more convenient, much more efficient. And then they would purchase animals that were uh, doesn't get it clean and, and uh, were appropriate for a sacrifice. The priests had, had their hand in that. And so uh, this, this action was necessary, but it was not necessary in the place and in the time in which it was being done. There is a difference, and we need to, this age especially, needs to understand that there's a difference between a holy place and a not holy place, and holy time and non-holy time. Uh, and when you're in the presence of the Lord, that's a sacred time. The Lord has his rules and his, and his proper approach. You can't just come rolling in, barreling into the very presence of the throne of the God of the universe. There's a curtain there. And besides, everybody there in Jesus' day would arrest you. You wouldn't make it. You'd be stoned before you even took five steps beyond the partition. But, but, but more than that, you don't understand that that your soul would not be able to even endure the holiness of God. You must go in by the sacrifice acceptable to God, a holy sacrifice. But all this disorder and all this confusion, all this distraction kept the people from really seeing the beauty of the worship of Jehovah and all the symbology that would point to that lamb that takes away the sin of the world, for redemption, forgiveness of sins. All that was for not only the Jews who had seen this 
this drama uh, in this temple cer uh, uh, ceremony many, many times. But for visiting Gentiles and proselytes and others that were seeking the Lord. The, as I mentioned before, the outer temple, the outer court of the temple was for God-fearing Gentiles or people that were seekers uh, to worship. But Jehovah God was always a God for all the nations. We see this even in our studies in the book of Exodus. As they were leaving after the Passover, the whole nation of Israel was in array, but there were many Egyptians and others that followed and joined that because they saw that Jehovah, he, he is God, Jehovah. Yeah, all these other gods are nothing. They're, they're, they're false. They're, they don't exist. Only God, Jehovah, the God of the Hebrews, he alone is God. And, and the nations were, were, were taken in. And the Lord has always been open to that. Now, uh, there is a, a rabbinical note here about what happened precisely in, in this uh, Jesus' last week on earth. This is, uh, of course, we're closing in Jesus' ministry. This is his last week uh, of his fleshly ministry. And uh, you notice that this, uh, this cleansing had not been done previously. Um, if, this, if, if this confusion and disarray and, and, and selfishness uh, had been there before, then why didn't Jesus... Uh, not a, why didn't he address that, or was he just overlooking that? No, it, there's good evidence to point that uh, in the, by, from the rabbinic uh, literature that the high priest in that year had first opened up the court of the Gentiles in that year, in that very close to that time, uh, for all of this uh, trade and merchandise, money changing, uh, selling pigeons and, and whatnot. And so uh, Jesus arrives here uh, to his utter dismay, sees that the mission of the temple, the mission of the temple was compromised and a bar was being set before the Gentile world in a time when the, the gates of Jerusalem would be thrown wide open to the Gentile world. I mean, upon the, the death, burial, and resurrection of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jerusalem would be the city welcoming all people, all nations to worship the Lord. He, he was at the very, Jerusalem was at the very eve of a worldwide evangelistic expansion. But the high priests and the leading scribes were asleep, were asleep. They could not tell the season of the visitation of the Son of God. Oh, they were great to tell the, the weather forecast, and it looks like it's, you know, it's red dawn with stormy, stormy weather. Red sunset, calm. Oh, they're very good at forecasting, probably better than Houston authorities are. But they couldn't, they didn't, they weren't prepared. And of course, that's what John the Baptist was, was in, in the wilderness there in the banks of Jordan, warning them, preparing the day of the Lord. The Lord will suddenly come into his temple, says the messenger. And they were asleep on the very day that their their. Their identity as God's chosen people was going to be most pronounced. Salvation to the world would be open. The temple then was to be not only a place of worship, but a place of a sanctuary. A sanctuary for, for sinners that, that were burdened under their accusation of their own conscience to meet with Jehovah to meet with a merciful and pardoning God and to be healed. It is a place of safety. And it is not 
It was not ever intended to be a place for unrepentant robbers, unrepentant, selfish people that would make good on a religious enterprise. That's the notion here contained in Jesus saying, you've made this a cave of robbers or cave of thieves. Again, allusion to Jeremiah 7 and verse 11. Has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Jeremiah prophesied in a day of great falling away from the Lord, great apostasy. The people then were doing what they, whatever they wanted in the temple. And rather than uh, being a, t a place for sanctuary for the truly afflicted, it had become a place to take advantage of the afflicted. Now, you can make a lot of money on religion if you know how to manipulate people. Okay, here we have presumptive sinners, though. They are Israelites. They, uh, they have license to, to use this uh, temple area, the Gentile courts, by the high priest. It seemed like they had a legitimacy there. It seemed like they had the authorities speaking on their side. And yet these were presumptive sinners. And they would presume to continue in their sin of selfishness to the disgrace of God's honor in him granting pardon to sinners. And their thought is, hey, let's continue in sin that grace may abound. Paul condemns that in Romans 6. In verse 1, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, will we go to church and find sanctuary there and wear that religion as a cloak for unrighteousness? Having all the while intent only selfish exaltation and a barring of the church of the Lord for any, anyone at all that would like to come and worship. Shall we then continue in sin that grace may abound, living to our own honor, abusing the worship of God? And Paul says, by no means. How can we who have died this sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Beware then. Uh, that you not use church attendance or church membership uh, as a stepping stone to some other alternative. Beware then of making pragmatism the rule in the church rather than making sure that hearts are prepared and that everyone coming before the Lord uh, knows the majesty of God, His holiness, and they know the proper means of access, faith in the Lord Jesus by His blood, and then see the glory of God in pardoning sinners, but never to abuse sin. Now Jesus cleanses the temple here. He restores God's temple to its original purpose by making room for prayer. It, literally making room for prayer. They, they were out of room. You only have so much square footage there on the temple mount. And what is meant by prayer here is communion with God. It's not just uh, prayer is, of course, not the only thing that was offered there in, in, the, in the worship of the Lord. There was music, there were, there were musicians, and there were singers, and then there were the sacrifices, and, and, and there were certainly prayers. There was also instruction. Prayer, communion with God. But that can be so easily, easily interrupted. And that's why we, and the Bible insists that we have an orderly worship, that we be attentive to the voice of God in Scripture. 
that we not bother people when they're in prayer because prayer, my friends, you know, it's hard work, isn't it? Even when God is helping you and even when you are, are most thrilled and looking forward to prayer, prayer is hard work and you need to be focused. And so you need to be making room for this and it cannot be. It, it, no one can compromise, not even for the sake of economic activity or efficiency. And so Jesus here resorts to the authority of Scripture. And doing what he's doing, he, he is greatly upsetting the order of the temple. But he has to clear out some things by way of disorder in order to bring about a new order. I mean, that's, of course, what's going to happen in the whole of the Old Testament slash New Testament. The whole transition here is going to be a deconstruction and then a reconstruction under Christ as the head of the church. And so he says, have you not read? He points them to Scripture. And of course, this is, <laughs> look, this is, this is a, a, a strong, a strong correction, a rebuke to the primary readers and the, the primary interpreters of Scripture who are asleep at the very eve of the greatest expansion of the gospel into all nations. They're asleep. They understand nothing of what's going on. My friends, I, I just want to make sure that we understand that nothing must impede our worship. Uh, the most difficult thing that impedes our worship is our own hearts. And here's the way that we mess ourselves up at worship. We come to church really thinking there's nothing going to happen. And this is still, oh, we have to go to church, but I don't, I'm not coming to receive anything. And there's really nothing. It's just, just a, it's a, it's a tradition. You're not looking for God. In fact, you're not going to, you're not believing that God's going to do anything special for you. And guess what? And the Lord, typically, if you're doing this in obstinacy, he'll probably give you what you're expecting. Nothing. If he's, merci if he's being merciful, he can override that. And that's why sometimes you leave with something better than you thought you were going to get. But that, my friends, should be normative. He's a gracious God abounding in good things. He's a healer. And he, and he is your God and king. And he's willing to give you everything. Not only his kingdom and everlasting life. Ah, it's nothing. He's able and willing to give you himself. And, and so you come before God in worship with a set sense of expectancy. And of course, if you are a Christian, you have a heart of love. And you want that same, that same communion of prayer with everyone next to you seated, everyone who comes in. You want that for other people. Because it's good for their souls and it's also glorifying to God. That's what you want. In other words, the church must be a holy habitation of God with his people. I love Psalm 93, verse 5. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. The Lord ordained it to be holy. It had to be kept holy. And Jesus is here purging the temple of everything that is unholy. It is secular. It is, okay, great, not sinful trade, but, but non-sinful trade in a simple, in a, in a, in a place that is holy, is out of bounds. It's out of bounds. And so we have to distinguish the holy from the unholy, and, Christ, and God's temple is holy. Jesus restores God's temple to its original purpose. The second point we say is that Jesus reveals his divine authority. 
in the temple. We already mentioned his uh, quoting scripture. It is written uh, as, a as a correction, but I'll repeat it again. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. I can't help but comment that it seems to be a very thinly veiled reference to himself. It is. <laughs> he is Jehovah. Uh, I'm not going to linger on this point, but if you think about what's going on, the people are, are, are coming to worship, and they're, they're coming to worship God, but God is always triune. And so Jesus is in the flesh as a man, but he's also being worshipped in the spirit. Anyway, it, it, it gets complicated, doesn't it? Jesus then reveals his divine authority in the temple. My house should be called a house of prayer. And he, he, he reveals his authority by allowing and insisting on the right access and the greater access to the temple than even King David. Now, I, I want to show you this. Now, King David was a holy man, and he had received his instructions from the Lord. He was a prophet, and uh, how to set up the worship there and the instruments and uh, the various arrangements of the temple uh, ground. But one thing that has to be said about David, when he took the Jebusite city, the city of David, uh, he gave honor to those that would first ascend and fight against the Jebusites. The Jebusites had held that stronghold. It was a strategic stronghold, a fortress for many, many centuries. And here is what 2 Samuel 5, 8 says. David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, those are the original inhabitants as far as, as our recorded records go, uh, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, he said. Attack the lame and the blind. That's what he called the Jebusites. The lame and the blind who are hated by God's soul. And therefore it is said, quote, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And the blind and the lame were not allowed. Even though they were Jews, they were not allowed in the court of the men nor the court of the women. They were forbidden access under David. But under the son of David, King Jesus, who was greater than David, the blind and the lame were not only welcomed, but they were healed. This is grace upon grace. This is, this is the last and perfect temple that, the Jesus, that Jesus is now beginning to prepare to bring about. Because the blind, of course, that came spiritually in their spiritual eyes, saw Jesus' power and goodness. They came, and they were accepted. The lame, they must have been helped, or they struggled. They, they, they struggled to come, but they saw Jesus' power. They believed. They saw his goodness. And they came, and they were admitted into the temple ground. And so this all anticipates the glory and the, the greater access of the new covenant and the worldwide temple, which is, of course, Jesus' body, his, his church. Isaiah 58, 1 through 8. It's, it's fairly long. I don't know. Now we got a little bit of time. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come, and my righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, see this holy time, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will certainly separate me from his people. 
and let not the eunuch, now this one is really lame, isn't he? Say, behold, I am a dry tree. It seems like he's not blessed. It seems like he's cursed. No seed from this one. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keeps my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. I'm playing words on being a eunuch. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. And their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered, everyone who keeps Sabbath and so on and so forth. Look, that, that has been fulfilled in the New Testament age upon the sacrifice of Christ because he is the essence of everything that was pointed to. The, he is the antitype of all the types that were anticipated in the Old Testament. And with all those types, a, a lame man, a, a blind man, a eunuch, were, were types of, of men that were fallen and broken and, and really not belonging to the holy age, the, the eternal age where, where they would be true sons of God in light and everlasting joy. They, they were maimed. They were impaired. They were, in a sense, in, <laughs> imperfect men. But God didn't make man imperfect, and he will not have imperfect men. He will beautify them and perfect them and heal them, and he will save them everlastingly in his holy, in his holy heavens. Jesus miraculously healed all who came into the temple. And this is much more than forgiving sins. I mean, the temple was all about the promise of, of sin being forgiven and, and peace offerings and, and peace meals and and, and announcing the reconciliation, and all of that was available to these people, and they were truly forgiven. I mean, the blood of goats of themselves did not take away sin, but the faith in the types revealed in those sacrifices, that faith latched hold of Christ. And there was true salvation to the Jew and cleansing. But one thing that we see here now in Jesus' passage is his interest in clearing the ground for the temple is that he's a healer, and he's wanting to heal not just the Jews, he wants to heal everyone. And that's what the church, that's what church's mission is. Salvation to the uttermost. Hosanna to the highest. That's the mission of Jesus and his followers. Jesus offers much more than forgiveness of sins. He rolls back the curse he rolls back the misery of sin, the guilt, and he yields joy. And this is all by divine power and glory in the temple. Now, do you have any doubt that Jesus is to be worshipped in the church today? Okay? I, mean, I introduced this, this question because a most unusual 
a most unusual uh, set of people did understand that Jesus belonged in the temple doing what he was doing and he had that he had authority to purge and that he did right in over, overturning those tables and that is the children because uh, finally the last point is that Jesus evoked two responses I mean there was in, there was not there was not indifference to this man okay uh, there could be no indifference to the prophet of Nazareth and Galilee he came and initially some were confused but that that confusion was, was, was cleared up immediately. Who's this? Jesus, prophet, the son. It's a prophet. It's, it's, the, it's a prophet from, from Nazareth. So uh, there's no indifference, and the confusion was lifted immediately. The only two responses in Jesus cleansing the temple is this. Praise. And the praise came from a very unusual quarter. They came from children. Children praised him. And that's what we saw in, in chapter 21, verse 9. Uh, we read the crowds that went before him, they were shouting Hosanna. Yeah, and, uh, and, and then the children. Who is this? The crowd said, this is the prophet uh, from Nazareth of Galilee. And the children were crying out in the temple, in verse 13, uh, 15, the children were crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. Now that's quite a mouthful for little children. They recognized him as the promised son, the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Hosanna, meaning save now, praised, crying out for salvation from their king. They knew, and they responded properly. The other response, <clears throat> unfortunately, was indignation. And indignation is a form of anger uh, and something that is perceived as as heinously wrong or, or heinously dangerous. And these people, the Pharisees, the leading religious leaders, they, they saw in Jesus a disruption, uh, an angry person tipping the tables. He's out of control. He, he doesn't have self-discipline, it seems. Maybe they're frustrated at the economic loss. Or maybe it was the pride of, of taking back the edict of the high priest and allowing the outer courts to be used this way. Or perhaps they didn't like the bottom of society, quote unquote, enter the outer courts of the temple. Who, this is the risk, this is the riffraff that David warned us about. David didn't like these guys. Children leading in praises in Jerusalem. But Jesus defended the children here. He said the children's insight is correct. And again, he corrects and shames the Jews' blindness. Because the chief priests were to be the watchmen of the temple. But just as Adam had failed Eve in the garden, uh, these temple guards had failed, had failed to preserve the garden from serpents. And the serpents were everywhere. The children, though, were mostly ignorant. They were not schooled. They were certainly not rabbis, but they plainly recognized Messiah. And this is, of course, <laughs> how far would the salvation go? What do we mean by all men in the outer courts of the temple? It means even children. All men. Children are inclusive. 
in keeping with God's providence and in ordaining praise to his name from all men. In fact, Psalm 82 is very explicit. If you want to see where the children have the authority of praising God in the temple, Psalm 8, verse 2. It says, Lord, you have ordained praises from children. Who has ordained your praises from the lips of children and nursing babes? All men. And that's what we mean by men. Okay. Now, my friends, we have watchmen in the church and they're elders, and they have to be very careful of everything that's done here is according to the true north compass. And needs to, we need to be calibrated to Scripture. We don't manipulate wills. Uh, we, we don't we don't uh, we we don't go about flattering people and promising them things that God does not promise. Nor do we withhold anything that God has for them. If it's here by way of correction and rebuke and training in righteousness, uh, we must not hesitate to give this to you because this is your this is your right. This is your inheritance. And the elders of the church are to hear, are to help you grow to the full stature of a man. It's not merely about being saved. It's about con continuing to grow in the Lord and being sanctified and being filled with the knowledge of God. So we are to teach the whole counsel of God. And of course, we're going to trip into some things that we don't understand or have never even heard. But that's our commission. And we must always calibrate to that commission. And especially when we, when we meet as the Lord's people, we're before him as, as his body. And we need to make sure that nothing perverse by distraction. We're not here to please the senses. We're here to please the Lord. And he will delight himself in us and give of, of his spirit true joy in his presence. You know, and just keep in mind also that some children are able to spiritually discern matters especially at worship, that some adults cannot. Uh, it's, I remember one time, I'll just give, I'll just give you a very quick illustration. Uh, there was a considerable amount of rearrangement and, and uh, reshuffling of things in where I worked up north in a corporate, in a corporate setting. And, you know, of a 12,000-person company, I think about five to 7,000 were predicted. Five to seven thousand jobs were predicted to be cut, and I was, you know, I was concerned, and probably showing that at, at home. But one morning, as I woke up, my two boys are in the back room eating breakfast, and they, I think I was showing distress. And you know what he said? You know what the both of them? They both chimed in with with a little a little jingle they had learned uh, from a children's program, and they both started singing. The Lord has given this place to us. No need to fuss. He knows what he's doing. He said that he would take care of us if we would only be his. If we would only trust him. And, you know, that's from the mouth of, 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 of babes. Uh, they were, what, four or five years old. We need to calibrate and make sure that we're on the right track. And we have help. We have a priest that keeps constant vigilance over his church. We have a high priest that is continually cleansing us. And we have a shepherd that is 
that is always protecting his flock from wolves and from dangerous, dangerous doctrine. And we can thank him and praise him for his boldness, for his virtue, for his purity, and for his love that is strong, as strong as death. He, he will love his bride to his very last day. He gave up his life for his church. And so to conclude this teaching, Jesus cleansed God's temple and he restored it to its original purpose, removing that which would prevent every man from worshiping God. And we can praise the Lord for this. He is the prophet of Nazareth from Galilee, but he's also the king who came in to Jerusalem mounted meekly on that donkey, in the fall of a donkey. But here he's the, he's the steward of the temple of the Lord. And so he is the high priest. All offices are his. And uh, because all offices are his, he is a, uh, a complete savior to Israel in one person. A complete savior. And we can thank the Lord that as a result of Jesus, we have bold access. We, we who are far off as Gentiles, we, we have easy and uh, full access to God into not a, a, a type of the house of God, but into the true spiritual sanctuary, into the heavenly places where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. We go all the way up there through him who loved us, our mediator, the Lord Jesus. My friends, if, if someone were to ask you, what is church all about? Here you have a ready answer in this passage. The church is a house of prayer. If it doesn't look like that, or if that's hard to explain, we need to, we need to make adjustments. A prayer, in prayer, it's a communication. God speaks to us and we speak to God back and forth. That's the dialogue of the church. Other matters, they distract. And so they must be discarded. My friends, how engaged are you in worship? You don't need external distractions. Sometimes you come in here with all manner of thoughts and plans, ambitions for the rest of the day. You bring in your own distractions. You need to settle those and park those at least. Well, I would park them on Saturday night before you sleep. Sanctify the Lord's day. Heart, soul, strength, and mind. Are you zealous and diligent to keep worship pure? Is it your delight to be in God's house according to his rules? Or do you see these rules as legalistic? Man, it's his house. It's his furniture. Uh, it's our job to discover how, what furniture he likes. If it's Victorian, let's go with Victorian. we got no business furnishing God's house. He wants prayer. He wants praise. He wants the word read. He wants the word preached. That's what we do. Beware of then lose, uh, using the churches for your own selfish ambition, for, especially for economic gain. If you're standing in the way of the poor or the ignorant, if you're standing in the way of the lame or the blind from worshiping God as men, then you are in violation. And you, you just be, I, I would. I would go to the Lord and ask him to help you because our Lord is a refining fire. The winnowing fork is in his hand 
John the Baptist has already said he's coming to thresh his floor. Prepare the way of the Lord. He's going to make every crooked way straight. The rough places plain. Every mountain will be leveled. The hollow places made plain. If there are social barriers, if there's attitudes, if there's politics and cliques in the way, I'll take them to the cross, ask the Holy Spirit to nail it to Jesus' cross. It's got to die. Ask the Lord then to assist you and to worship rightly. We can't. Even if you resolve with all your heart and the flesh, your, your worship must be in spirit and in truth, and for that you are utterly, utterly dependent on the Lord himself to help you worship in his presence. Now, if you come in humbly, and if you come in meekly, the Lord is faithful and just, and he will help you. But if you come in as proud, and already knowing more than every elder, Daniel, Moses, and Elijah, then the Lord will rebuke you in his presence. He will drive you out. We need to be sensible when we come to the Lord. Now, the gospel is this that the Lord will already accept you. Though you are a sinner, when you cast yourself upon him as your Savior, and he will forgive your sins. But the Lord Jesus does much more than that. He is a healer. He heals bitterness. Some of you may be yet in the, the guile, the root of bitterness is well established. You can't shed it. You're angry at someone who's done you an injustice. You just can't shed it. It's your pride. You've, you've dealt with the Lord Jesus much worse than this. Ask for his spirit. Ask that he give you his heart. Ask that he give you a heart to love not only himself, but all men. That the church may be, again, confirmed, established as that pillar and ground of truth, a temple of light and of salvation to the nations. Instead of being regarded as a a place where lousy musicians get together and sing stupid songs among fog machines and laser beams. That's where the American churches have gone. The Lord help us and the Lord restore us that the Queen of Sheba might come into our presence and say, this is marvelous. Now I know who the Lord is. Now I can give my maker tribute. And now I can, I can look forward to the great redemption of my household and my soul and, and the refreshing of all things, the new heavens and the earth. That's the hope that the church offers the world. But it's got to be cleansed. The church must be clean. And we must purge our hearts every day and make sure that the epidemic of selfishness and ignorance doesn't take over the church. Let's pray. Lord God, you are the mighty, mighty deliverer of Jesus. You, Jesus, are the mighty deliverer of your people. You came into your own. And though a few did recognize you, Lord, you had the boldness of doing what needed to be done. We pray, Lord, that as we remember <clears throat> your wondrous works, that we would remember what Jesus has done to make a way for all people to come to the Father. And we pray, Lord, 
And that is we do, that we would give him the glory and the honor. You alone are Savior and King. We bow before you in gratitude. Only let us walk, Lord, meekly and humbly, loving justice, doing mercy. And we pray this for your glorious name's sake. Amen. Let's have a, a worship of the Lord in tithes and offerings. Thank you. 